Hi, and welcome to the Cold Turkey podcast. So if you're the usual French listener, you might uh, be surprised by the fact that uh, this week I'm going to be receiving uh, a guy that speaks English. So uh, the podcast is going to be, I I hope that at some point the podcast is going to be completely bilingual. But that being said, this week I got Greg, which uh, called me directly direct from LA, so Los Angeles. Uh, it was a It was great talking to him. He actually has a, a company which does intervention and helps people in sobriety. And uh, by the end of the podcast, he's going to be sharing some some information about uh, well his organization and as well as links to find um, an ebook about building strong and a great foundation of your own sobriety. And uh, he has a special promo or offer for our uh, podcast listeners so guys and gals if you're interested stay on keep listening and by the end of it you're going to be uh, having a, a, a link or a description of a link to get uh, to get to, to greg's promotion so without further ado i'm going to leave you with greg have a great listening and enjoy So hi, Greg. How are you doing? Good. How are you today, Alex? I'm doing great. Welcome to Cold Turkey. Um, maybe you want to explain to the listeners what is you know like what is your job and what do you do in life? Uh, and you know like uh, it's probably going to explain to uh, our listeners the reason why I reached out to you. Awesome. Absolutely. Uh, so my name is Greg Johnson, and I am known as the Sober Success Specialist. And I work with high-achieving professionals, artists, athletes, and individuals tired of destroying their lives with substances and negative behaviors who are finally ready to break free from dependence so they may truly appreciate their success and love themselves and their lives. And it is my passion uh, to assist those individuals that are struggling Uh, that are afraid, that are stressed out, uh, that do not know their next step forward in staying sober, and specifically those persons that are recently out of treatment or about to get out of treatment and leave that safety, that comfort, that bubble that treatment provides to live their life essentially on their own and for the first time uh, sober. And that is my passion to assist individuals to make it easy for them to take away the stress and the struggle so that they feel safe and confident in their ability to go forward and live a successful sober life. And so you're a pink cloud manager, Greg. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Keep, keep the pink cloud going. It does not have to fade away. And I know this because I've been 14 and a half years sober now. So, and so definitely can keep on. Which brings me to my next question. You know, like, what makes you so passionate about recovery? You know, like, what what are the reasons? You know, maybe a bit of background. Explain to me where, you know, like where you know, like where you come from. You know, like a bit of your life. Absolutely. Um, I was raised in Northern California in the San Francisco Bay Area, 
And when I was in high school, my parents, uh, they, they had divorced when I was in elementary school, remarried other people, divorced those people. And in my sophomore year, beginning of my sophomore year, my parents remarried. And at that time, I moved back in with my father, who I hadn't lived with in probably seven years. And as my high school years unfolded, I witnessed some crazy erratic behavior from my father. My father would disappear days on end. He would come back to the house uh, saying that he had been at work at that, the whole time for those days. And I, I found that to be awfully strange. And when he came back into the house, he would just plop down on the couch and pass out, it seemed, for days. And when he did wake up or come to, he was always in a rage, uh, screaming, yelling, very erratic, crazy behavior. And as a teenager, I thought, wow, this is this is really strange behavior. What the heck is going on? And I had no idea what was taking place. And I moved out of the house at the age of 17, just shy of my 18th birthday. And as the years passed by, my um, mother and father separated. My father walked out and left. And I had limited communication with my father because of his uh, psychological inabilities and just was not a good person to be around. And I just did not know what was going on. And I, I really feared for my safety and my well-being. And so that was in 1989 when I moved out. And in 1996, uh, I received a call. I was living in Miami, Florida at the time. And I received a message from my brother. Uh, this is back in the day when we had answer machines and home phone lines. And I got back to the house after working. I got in late at night, about two in the morning. And my brother had left uh, a message on the on the machine saying, you have to call, call home, it's urgent. And I could tell by the tone of his voice that something was not right. Something something was definitely not right. And so I immediately called him back uh, three o'clock in the morning, Miami time, 12 o'clock or 12 midnight, California time, and got him on the line. And it was then that he told, uh, told me uh, that our father had died of a drug overdose. And, and you know, you didn't know that at all beforehand. You, you, you had no, no you, so, no, there, so I he knew was, my father had drank, uh, you know, through the years I'd seen him drink, but I had never really witnessed or knew exactly what drugs were or anything like that. I had no idea that, you know, that was the issue. Okay. Um, it, it was funny because growing up in high school, he would always have, uh, those diet pills, Dexatrim. There were those pills lying all over the house. And I was like, wow, my father's, my father's always on a diet. How weird. Well, little did I know he was taking them because of the, the speed in those diet pills. And when they found him, um, he was slumped over with a needle in his hand and a tourniquet wrapped around his arm uh, from a meth overdose. And I was dumbfounded. As you said, Alex, I, I had no idea. And it just, it shocked me. It took the life out of me. Um, I was just shattered by that information. It was, it was so shocking. And you're, yeah. and that is was it the, the reason why your mom left? 
Um, my actually, my father left the second time. My father took off because he was so paranoid, so confused, um, so fearful um, that he just left one day and, and never returned. So and so, what is your family deep, landscape? Deep. Are you the youngest of your siblings, or? Um, I am the oldest of uh, three siblings, so okay. I'm the oldest. So, you, so my younger brothers, my younger brothers were still living at the ho uh, uh, home with my mother at the time. So you, you know, so they probably had no clue either about this um, this situation at all. No, I think we were all just really ignorant about what was going on. We knew that there was some sort of issue taking place with my father, but we really didn't know the depth of what he was going through. You know, we just thought it was a, a mental issue, some sort of psychological mental issue. Um, and now, you know, in retrospect, we, we understood why that was. It was because of the the addiction to math that was causing him to be psychotic and go into psychosis and rage and anger and all of these detrimental uh, emotional states. Um, and it was all because of the, the, the math addiction. How old were you? At the time, I was I was 25 years old. I was just shy of my 26th birthday. And what was your own experience with, with substances by that time? Yeah, great question. So at that time, um, I was living in Miami, South Beach, and it, it was the place to be. Great, great parties. And, you know, you could go to the club and be out all night. So it was it was very recreational. Um Our, our usage and everybody was using uh, and drinking and having a great time. And that's what we did. And it was a lot of fun. But after my father died, um, I was so fearful. I was so scared for my own life, uh, thinking, will, will this happen to me? Um, addiction does run in our family. My uncle, my father's brother also had a severe alcohol issue. And so I was in fear that this would happen to me or how do I prevent this from happening, happening to me? And so in order to cope with all of these emotions of the loss of my father, that sadness, that deep sadness, that sorrow, um, I did what I knew best to do to alleviate my fears and my concerns and uh, the depression and the sadness. And that was to drink and, and use drugs recreationally. And it worked. It, it worked well for a while. Um, but as we know, it's quite progressive, the nature of uh, our drinking and using. Yeah. And it, it, it got worse and worse and worse and worse through the years. Were you and already the... I, were you, I'm sorry, but were you already, Greg, kind of the partiest of them all? Or, you know, like the, the enjoying party more than others at, already at that time? Well, I think uh, with the the climate of South Beach back in the '90s, it was it was very much a party town, yeah. and everybody. That's what really everybody did. If you're living in Miami and South Beach, that was that was the climate, and that's what we all did. So at the time, it just seemed uh, it seemed natural. It seemed what everybody else was doing, so it wasn't really a second thought at that time. Yeah. Although I had some friends, you know. Some friends say to me, "Hey, uh, you might want to look at this." I'm like, "Ah, no, you know, we're we're fun. We're having fun. We're good." Um, so, you know, oftentimes people see it before you see it, right? For sure, people will 
notice it before we do. So definitely, I think it was uh, that start of denial. Um, other people were witnessing it before I did. Definitely. And any contact with any other substances at the time, you know, like I, I, from that point or, or, you know, like, and I'm asking that because usually, you know, like in retrospect, you can look behind your shoulders like, well, eh, I was pretty much the, the, the latest, you know, like the, the later one going out of the bar or I was, you know, like always the one that was drunker <laughs> than the rest of the bunch. And, um, You know, I, I, I look back now and this is what I believe, this is what I know uh, for my drug use and my experience of alcohol. Um, when, I, when I found out about my father and that he had died of a meth overdose, I knew nothing about methamphetamine, nothing, very little. So I did not know what it was. And now today, being 14 and a half years sober and looking back and through the process of, of recovery, I understand that my soul Uh, the 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 unconscious part of me, the subconscious, uh, beyond my conscious mind, wanted to experience what my father went through. Really wanted to know what happened to my father. And so, when I went through the years of using and the progression of that, and ultimately going into meth and using meth, um, I began to really live what my father had lived. And it wasn't until right before I got sober the last time where I really awoke and understood that I had to do something about my using, that I understood that I was ending up just like my father. And so you ended up, slowly, yeah, you ended up taking, using exactly what killed your dad. Absolutely. And the ironic part is that my father died shooting it up. So I was like, Okay, as long as I don't shoot up drugs, I'm fine because that that killed my father. So yeah. I can't do that. So I would do it other ways, and I thought that I would be fine. I would be okay. I would be untouchable. And it was only, oh God, I, I think about it uh, at the end. There, it was just horrific. It was such an awful experience, and I was I was so destructive. And it, I remember walking into the bathroom at four in the morning and I had been up for quite a while. I wasn't drinking or eating anything. And I, I looked in the mirror and it was like this moment of clarity. And I looked in the mirror and I saw myself and there was, there was nobody home, Alex. It was like, how did I end up like this? Where am I going with my life? It was just in a flash, a moment of clarity. And I could hear God's voice, that, that still small voice of God that dwells within each of us, right? Whispering to me saying, um, my son, if you do not stop what you're doing, you are not going to die. You are dying. You will die. And that got my attention. It woke me up so clear uh, because before, you know, I thought I was indestructible. I would never end up like that. And that moment at four in the morning got my attention and it, it, it woke me up and scared me. It got me, got me to to stop doing what I was doing. How long in that downward spiral did that happen? I would say my, my father died in 96 and this was 05. I got sober in 05, May of 05. Yeah. So it was a, how many years is that? That's like eight or nine years, nine years. Yeah, nine years. Five, nine years. Yeah. 
and really, you know, trying to manage this thing, you know, oftentimes we as men in our society are told that we should not ask for help, that we should, we should be uh, powerful and strong, and we're not allowed to talk about emotion or any of that, that we, we have to do this on our own and be self-sufficient and be the providers. Yeah. And that type of mentality kept me struggling, struggling for so long to manage this thing and do it on my own. And really, I could not admit defeat or powerlessness over drugs and alcohol because I thought that if I did, it would be a sign of weakness, that I would be judged, that I would be less than or viewed as less than. And so that mindset, that thinking kept me imprisoned in a cycle of uh, unmanageability while trying to manage this thing. And that thing for years kept me in the struggle. I would try to manage it this way and that way, do it this way and not do it this time, you know, all sorts of things. Until finally, you know, I realized that I, I couldn't. And it was in that, in that desperation, in that despair, in that darkness that I was willing to admit defeat. Well, um, I remember going, yeah. No, I was just wondering, you know, like, what did you leave in that destruction path? You know, like, it, uh, my question actually was professionally and personally, was there collateral damages? Uh, and, and, you know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure of the answer, but, you know, like, I just want you to describe what, you know, like, you know, like, what got damaged by that nine years uh, of just self-destruction? Well, the, the biggest damage was to myself, though, the way in which I was living uh, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, that I was absolutely bankrupt, that I was, I, I felt such uh, isolation and despair, uh, depression, uh, that struggle was just so intense. Um, and everything in my life I was holding on to by the grace of God, you know, still had my place to live. Uh, my position, my working position was just nearly gone. It was almost to the point of being gone. Uh, but by the grace of God, that was, that was kept. Um, so I was very fortunate that I, I did not lose everything. There were bouts of that, uh, through the years, uh, mentally and emotionally, spiritually, financially, um, it was just a, a crappy way to live. Just a crappy, crappy way to live. So you it kept was, the facade not... completely. People couldn't tell as your dad did, or um, I'm sure people could tell. My closest friends, you know, I, I have conversations today with my closest friends, and they talk about, you know, um, they would come over and watch me and nurse me and, and take care of me, and they they were very concerned. Um, my family, uh, you know, because I lived away from them and maybe it wasn't as prevalent, but there were, there were a few years there that they, they knew something was going on. And, um, I got to say that my grandmother has been such a stellar, uh, support system and my mother as well. And those two women have been instrumental in their faith. They have an absolute huge faith in God. And I know the prayers of my mother and my grandmother um, sustained me 
strengthened me and, and set me free, that the power of their prayer uh, kept me alive and brought me to where I am today. And I also know that my father's life was not in vain, that he ultimately sacrificed his life so that I could have life, that yeah. it is the greatest sacrifice he can make. Uh, for me. And, you know, things unfold greater than what we see or know, right? There, there's an undergirding of, of this of God, of, of this divine intelligence. And I know wholeheartedly that that is what has kept me alive and brings me to this moment to be with you today to share the story so that we can inspire the listeners and other people that are out there struggling so that they do not have to struggle or keep up a facade as I did for so many years, that there's no need to struggle or be afraid, right? That, that there, there are angels in this world to, to assist us through and to get us to the other side. Absolutely. And walk me, you know, like, so you have that moment of clarity, right? You know, like that, that morning or evening, can you walk me through what was, what, what came after that? You know, like pretty much, you know, like in terms of, you know, like the almost in real time, like, so you have that flash, you know, like you see yourself, you, 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 it, it, you know, like you see yourself pretty much as a disaster that you, you may have become, um, how you know like what happens next yes so in that in that moment when i looked in the mirror i could hear the voice of god uh telling me that information that truth and when i heard that information i received it from god i then was able to open up and with such vulnerability and tenderness i said this i said please god help me Please, God, help me. And the most amazing things took place when I uttered that prayer. I remember going to the park here uh, by my house uh, the next morning. The sun had come up, and I went to the park. And I had my headset on. I was listening to music. And I was like, okay, now what? What's next? What happens now? I don't know uh, how how and again i heard the voice of god and the voice of god says to me don't worry about anything you are going to be just fine you are going to be great everything is going to be okay you are okay and i was like but how everything seemed a disarray everything seemed so broken i was so discouraged i was faithless i was hopeless God assured me, do not worry. And what happened was angels came into my life, as we talked about the angels earlier, came into my life. A good friend of mine, she was getting sober, and she had been sober about 15 days before me. And I kind of heard this through the grapevine, but she had not confirmed it. And so in the next day or two, I ran into her at work. She asked me how I was doing, and I just began to cry. And I didn't even have to tell her what was going on. She she knew. She just knew it. She felt it. And she said, I, I have I have some things for you. I'm going to pick you up the next day at a certain time. And she did. And she began to take me to recovery meetings. And in addition to that, which was something uh 
quite new for me. Uh, she had wanted me to go to a spiritual community, um, a church, if you will, uh, a non-traditional church. Uh, for over a year, she had been asking me to go, and I was like, no, I, I don't want to go to church. No, I don't. And so finally, in my brokenness, I was like, yes, I'll go. And she took me uh, that Sunday to this uh, spiritual community here in Los Angeles, Agape. And I sat through that service, and I will never forget that moment. I sat there, and I heard Reverend Michael Beckwith speak. And he was talking the language of my heart. And I had always had this knowing of God in, in me as a young boy. And it was a God of love, of understanding, of compassion. Um, and for some reason, I was just never really hearing this message as I grew up. And finally, the words that he spoke resonated to my deep knowing, the deep truth that resided within me, the God that I knew and understand to be. And I, I broke down crying. I was like, this is phenomenal. This is miraculous. I am home. And what I did from that moment, I threw myself into a four-year study program at Agape through their university, and I became licensed as a spiritual practitioner in 09 because this work reconnected me to God. It allowed me to create a spiritual way of living for my life. And I needed that in addition to the recovery programs, which educated me about the nature of my disease, the nature of addiction, the nature of alcoholism, and how to treat that. And it opened the door to spirituality. And the study at Agape and their university allowed me to create a house a mansion of spiritual living. And so I could not do it just with that recovery program. I had to have that spiritual education, that spiritual knowledge to keep me sober. And I live my life by that today, by that spiritual devotion, that spiritual practice. It's it's my everything. And so... How do you, you know, like, um, what makes you, you know, like a, a, a great specialist? Again, you're like, I, I'm, I'm asking those questions. I have a, I, I have, I deeply have a feeling that, you know, like every one of us that, that have gone through, uh, addiction and, and, you know, like that, that, that came out of that darkness, um, uh, as the capacity and, you know, like the, the, story of bill and bob actually you know, like there were two folks that you know like were trying to stay sober and by exchanging you know like they they both their you know like both their interest passion and spirit of recovery made them sober you know so so and then the my guess is you know like they dug deeper into the spiritual meaning of it you know like uh but by exchanging with another addict you know like they 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 stayed they stayed sober um what you know like what what do you think makes you uh um like a leading specialist in that field yes i agree with what you just said alex um before i answer that the, the, the statistics of person staying sober long term is very very small if we look at the percentages and I believe that the, the missing link, and you nailed it, is this 
spiritual endeavor. And oftentimes the spiritual component of this is, uh, for whatever reason, forgotten or not uh, as prevalent as it must be. What's the number you got, Greg? The last number I had was 8% in mind. Um, Is it what you got as well? Yeah, that's what I hear. 10%, 8% that that do stay sober long-term. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe, and I've seen with our clients that I've worked with over the years, hundreds and hundreds of clients over a thousand hours of of um, mentoring and working with clients, our clients have a huge success rate. I would say ninety to ninety five percent of our clients are succeeding and staying sober, and it is because of a spiritual component about putting God first and knowing their connection with God, and what we've developed through this work. Through this research, this study, and what we've seen work over and over again, we have designed the spiritual design for successful sober living, a five-step system to strengthen your recovery. And this this design, this five-step system, makes spirituality so easy that it puts spirituality in the palm of your hands, and it is absolutely doable. Now, oftentimes what happens when we first get sober, uh, some listeners may be listening and saying, oh my God, how do I create a relationship with God? I'm not worthy of a relationship with a higher power. I don't know how to go about it. It can be daunting, overwhelming, scary, all of those things. And I assure you that when I was first getting sober, I felt the same way. And through my life experience, through the research and working with other clients and developing this for my own life, and it is the way I live my life today, it takes away the struggle, it takes away the fear, the doubt, and it leaves us with a sense of self-empowerment, self-fulfillment, self-worth, self-love. It is exquisite. And how do we start? You know, like what's what's pretty much you know like the first action we need to take to build that foundation. Sure. So with that question, Alex, I'll just give us the five steps. We want to live, leave the listeners with just as much valuable information here as we can. For sure. And then I'll tell you how you can get more information uh, easily. Uh, so the first step of the system is. Cherishing your sobriety. Number one, cherishing your sobriety. And cherishing your sobriety is about creating an energy of gratitude and thankfulness for this, that that our sobriety is a gift. Um, What I have seen take place in some of our clients is that they, they leave treatment and they are on the pink cloud, right? They're, they're on this pink cloud and they're like, man, this is great. I got it. I feel good. Yes. And then in that feeling, uh, the, the connection with God, the spiritual practice, all of those things that we do to get sober are abandoned. They are forgotten because we feel like we've arrived. We've got it. I'm on top of the mountain. And everything that we do, as far as spirituality as God, creating an active uh, relationship with God, we stop doing it. 
because we feel like we don't need to anymore. And when we do that, we throw away this gift that we freely give it away. And ultimately, we go back to drinking and using because the feeling that we we have gained by doing the work, the authentic work, creating a daily spiritual practice, connection with God, we stop doing that work, then we stop feeling the way we do, that pink cloud goes away, and then we turn to what we know or used to work, what used to serve us, right? We go back to our old ways to try and achieve that feeling, and we end up in that cycle of relapse. Now, there, there, there are three other ways that we can cherish our sobriety, right? Um, environment is another really important way to cherish the sobriety. We cannot go back into the same environments, right? Where we used to hang out, the people we used to hang out with that are still in active addiction. We are foolish to think if we can go back to those people, those situations and circumstances that we were in prior to getting sober, more than likely it will lead to relapse. Uh, another reason, responsibilities. If we put our responsibilities before sobriety, we will lose sobriety, right? We get out of treatment, we go back into our normal lives, and then the job, the relationships, the family, the marriage, all of those things we start putting before our sobriety. And then what happens is they become overwhelming overwhelming and it takes us under and we want relief so we go back to drinking and using sobriety must come first before the responsibilities focusing on the external or focusing on the appearances right uh wanting to appear as successful keeping up the facade i have to look good right so what happens is we begin to focus on the external things in our, in, of our lives rather than focusing on the internal relationship with a higher power, prayer, meditation, affirmation. And when we focus on the external, we forget about the internal and we begin to stop uh, creating that spiritual practice on a daily basis. This will lead to relapse as well. And finally, when we think we have arrived, I've done what I needed to do, we get this air about us, uh, a cockiness, as it's been described, uh, that I am good, I am better than, I don't need this, I have arrived. And when we get consumed with that, we that ego, that hubris, that will lead to relapse. We must, we must be humble at all times, humbly confident. And when we are humbly confident, we cherish our sobriety. When we are grateful and understand the struggle and the, the depression and the sadness and all of that, that depth of despair, that rock bottom that we have gone through in order to gain this gift of sobriety, we cherish our sobriety. And I'm scared of relapse. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of relapse still to this day. You know, like yeah. it, it is something that, you know, like worries me, uh, scares me. And I think, you know, like that, what keeps me, it's, it's part of what keeps me sober is the fact that still to this day, it's not something that I've, yes. you know, like I don't want to overcome that fear. 
Um, yeah. Um, um, and that, that's, that right there is like a, a lump of coal, right? Like that fear is our lump of coal. And as we go through the years, right, that that lump of coal is, is uh, broken down. And in the middle of that is that, is that beautiful, majestic diamond, right? Yeah. And so that fear absolutely allows us to cherish cherish our sobriety absolutely yeah and it was you know like the counting the blessing thing that i discussed with you uh before we started recording you know like it's it's uh you know like it's the, the cherishing part is pretty much you know uh count your blessings you know like there are things that may seem um um i don't know like like not necessarily remarkable you know like so um But if you take the time to reflect and think about them, they would have never happened if you were using at all, you know? So sometimes it looks like, like the big things, you know, like I still have my house and my wife still with me and, you know, like, and so on. But sometimes it's as easy as almost taking a shower, you know, like, so, you know, like I, I enjoying a glass of water, you know, like is something that you can actually count as a blessing because for a while, Actually, all that stuff was, it, it didn't exist in your life. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah. on that, on that note as well, you know, that, that we, we, our own self, our own being, our own life, you know, to, to really honor ourselves and, and the work that we've done. Oftentimes we, we beat ourselves up and it can be challenging uh, to forgive ourselves and to forgive all that we've done. And it's so important to to value and, and cherish our own life and our and our own selves and our own souls. Yeah, and there is good pride, Greg. You know, like I, I you know, like I think, you know, like pride has been seen as a as a as a bad thing. But you know, like I remember celebrating my 18th month and telling people, you know, like it's it's me that didn't pick up the phone to call my dealer. It's me that didn't drive yeah. down to the drugstore to pick up, a, you know, like a, a pack of beers or whatever. Um, it yes. is it, like, yeah. so I'm proud of that. You know, like I'm, I'm proud that I didn't do that. You know, like I'm proud that I didn't, um, I didn't go at places where I would put myself in danger. Um, you know, like, so, so careful sometimes about, you know, like the, you know, like, um, evaluating or defining pride the wrong way you know like you you have to be proud of that and cherish that sobriety and and you know embrace this as something that you're you know like you're in big part responsible of absolutely yeah when and when you say that that humble confidence comes to mind right that yeah. we can be proud with a humble confidence exactly and so um how do people you know like how do people work with you you know like how do people get in touch with you how do you how do you work what what is your work like on a on a daily basis and how do people work more closely with you sure um so there's there's four more steps to the to the design um and if you go to um We'll we'll leave you with some information. We have limited time here, so we want to leave the listener with with lots of valuable information to to assist you in staying strong and powerful in your sober, successful life. Uh, so we have a a free e guide 
And it is five reasons why people do not stay sober and how you can. And so if you go to soberhearts.org forward slash sober success guide, that's soberheart.org forward slash sober success guide, you can download that e-guide. And listeners and will be able to find a link in the description of, of our of our of our conversation. So all of you know, like awesome. Greg and I will be uh, and changing uh, you know like uh, some emails about that, and you know like people will easily be able to either reach out to me, reach out to Greg. But um, you know, like listeners, you need to you know like uh, be sure that you know you're going to be finding that 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 link on the, the description of the podcast. Um, you know, when I'm going to publish it. Excellent. And then we, we have one more opportunity uh, for the listeners, Alex. Um, and so this is exclusive for the cold Turkey podcast listeners. Uh, we are offering a limited amount of complimentary sober success strategy sessions. They are a 50 minute one-on-one session with me. Uh, the value is $500 per session. These are complimentary. We have five, only five spaces available for your listeners. And in order to access this free sober strategy session, uh, just email us at greg at soberheart.org. That's greg at soberheart.org. In the subject line, just put cold turkey and just uh, request a session. And so this session is designed for an individual that may be uh, struggling to stay sober, um, struggling to get sober, uh, that there's just some fear, there's doubt, there's worry in your ability to do this thing that you're questioning, can I do this? Anything of that nature, uh, this session is designed to assist you in pinpointing why it is that you are feeling this way, how to get out of feeling this way, and your best action steps forward. That's what we, we offer in this session. So if you are suffering, if you are worried, if you're concerned, if you are sad, if you are lonely, if you are angry any of those emotional states that you may be feeling, uh, know that you don't have to do this thing alone, that you do not have to struggle on your own. Um, if you are worried about creating a relationship with God or a higher power or a spiritual practice, sign up for the session and we can, we can assist you through this moment. Awesome. Any last word, Greg, you know, like I can't thank you enough. Um, this has been a journey for me, you know, like I'm, I'm you know, like I, I've recorded about 30 episodes. Um, I've just opened up your actually my first um, English speaking podcast episode. Uh, I hope to have uh, many more, but uh, it was, uh, you know, like it, it, it's quite a journey for me. And, you know, like I, I hope to be able to listen to as many and as often possible all the options that are available to safe an addict life you know like uh, uh, you know like whatever yeah. the addiction is whatever the the whatever makes someone's life miserable um and and greg you know like you 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 just brought you know like a one piece of that huge 
puzzle, you know, like, or, or, or your version of that puzzle. And, you know, like I, I, I'm, I'm super grateful for that. So, um, any last word for my listeners? Yes, Alex. Uh, first of all, thanks. And thank you for having me. And it's an honor and a privilege to be here, um, to, to connect with you and your listeners. So I, I appreciate the, the time today. And, um, I would love to end with a little prayer if that's okay. Absolutely. Sure. All right. Awesome. So I, I invite us just to close our eyes, taking a collective breath in through the nose and exhaling through the mouth. One more breath in through the nose, breathing in absolute love and exhaling any tension, just releasing that through the mouth. And so I just say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for our time together. Thank you, God, for Alex. Thank you, God, for all those that are listening. Thank you, God, for all those that are waking up to their greatest yet to be, that are resilient, that are strong, that are powerful. And know this day that you are perfect, that you are whole, that you are complete just as you have been created by God and that we are angels on this planet to reawaken, to remember that power, which dwells within us. And that is of God. So I just bless us as we travel on this road of happy destiny, allowing ourselves to be free, joyous, happy, strong, powerful, content, that life is ours to live to its fullest. We let go of the bondage of self, of our past, to be absolutely free and liberated this day. And as we free ourselves, as we are living in this field of absolute liberation, we fly like the angels of God that we are. So it is a good day. It is a glorious day. Let's celebrate. Let's live full out. Thank you, God. And so it is. Amen. 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 Thank you. Well, thanks a lot for your time, Greg. You know, like I, I'm again, super grateful that you accepted to, uh, to be my guest today. And, um, as I said, I'll be sharing uh, all the information, links, and uh, the coordinates for the uh, for your session. And um, yeah, that you know, I really appreciate uh, your time, Greg. Thanks a lot. Awesome. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for cold turkey. <laughs> Thank you. Have a good one. Thanks. All right. Bye bye. Have a good. One.